The Rwando Podcast is an exploration of the unconscious and the game of life. Be sure to visit Rwando.com to get a preview chapter of my upcoming book, Infinite Play, and free access to my content library. Enjoy the show. There is no female Mozart because there is no female Jack the Ripper. Camille Paglia. I've mentioned Camille's quote a couple times on this podcast in different episodes, and some people consider it to be a controversial quote, uh, saying, oh, what are you saying, like, women can't be obsessed? But no, no, it's, it's highlighting the creative destructive potential of testosterone and therefore masculinity. Well, we'll get into the sexual side of it later, but essentially, if we can drop our moral framework, because it's, it's only our moral framework that puts creative and destructive as these opposite things, right? Essentially what Camille is saying is that testosterone, the male sex hormone, gets men to be obsessed with things. That obsession can lead to something incredibly beautiful, like Mozart's music. It can also lead to something terribly destructive, like Jack the Ripper going around raping and strangling women, right? But these are both male behaviors, and it's only our human moral framework that even puts these two things in different categories. You know, from a pre-conscious genetic standpoint, one could maybe argue that to our genes, both of the, I mean, it's almost the expression of the same impulse that maybe comes out in different ways. One's a socially acceptable way, one's a not socially acceptable way. And that, that's not to say the social acceptance is all a construct or meaningless. I mean, even to our genes, I guess for Jack the Ripper's genes, even though perhaps there was this programming to be obsessed and seek sex and power and domination, which typically has allowed for the spreading of male genes, given that Jack the Ripper killed all his victims, he wasn't procreating, so that actually wasn't good for his genes to pass on. So, but anyway, we don't have to even get into that side of things. The point of today's episode, today's episode is on the virtue of obsession. And obsession is a male virtue. Not that women can't be obsessed, but it is something that is tied to testosterone, something that correlates with testosterone. Actually, I mean, as I mentioned, the virility paradox episodes, you inject, there's various studies, that if you inject testosterone into a man or a woman, they'll become a little bit more focused on singular things, a little bit more likely to be obsessed with something, and they'll actually become less good at hearing peripheral noises. So, you know, for the, for the person who can't concentrate because they hear every single sound, you know, testosterone will, will do away with that. And uh, actually, if you just look at the flip side, one of the reasons why women typically can hear sounds better, can hear ambient noises better than men, is that historically, or if you go far back when there was a more clear sexual division of labor, a woman would have to be able to hear a baby cry better. Whereas if a man's out hunting, maybe he doesn't want to hear the slightest sound of a, of a bird chirping when he's chasing the buffalo. Anyway. This, uh, this nature, this tendency towards obsession is a tendency of the male brain. And obviously, when we compare Mozart to Jack the Ripper, not even getting into their personal experience, of course, most of, our, most of us would rather be more like Mozart, I assume. And it's learning to harness this tendency that if you are a guy, or if, you, or if, you know, if, if, if you're not a man, but you have like these male tendencies, lots of androgen receptors perhaps, this tendency towards obsession is something that can be harnessed. And in today's modern day, with regardless of your gender or your, your tendencies, we're in this world where media and the things that we're exposed to all the time are trying to tap into this ability, this, uh, this natural tendency to be obsessed with things. 
even websites that seem overall positive for learning like Reddit or Wikipedia even, like they're all built as rabbit holes to pull you in, which of course, if you get pulled into every rabbit hole, if you get obsessed with everything presented with you, you're probably not gonna live the most exciting life or the, the life that you probably intend. Whereas if you can get obsessed with things that are really beneficial to your life, can you, if you can get obsessed, I mean, you get obsessed with the right thing, that, I mean, that's how greatness is uh, created. All great men in history, all great people in history were obsessed with something, whether it was like fixing a crisis or, uh, you know, maybe it came out of necessity for their times, or they just were like obsessed with an idea as many of uh, scientists and inventors throughout history and artists have been like, they just like, they had an idea and they're just like, they go so deep because that's what obsession is. You're going so deep in something, so deep in a skill, so deep in, in a in a field of thought or a field of inquiry that you end up picking up all of these skills at a, at a rate much higher than someone who's just passively interested in something. This is also, obviously, if you're obsessed with something, you're not apathetic. You're probably not worried about being afraid of the world. Like this kind of obsession, this kind of single pointed focus kind of makes the rest of the world fall away, in which case uh, your, your sense of well-being, of course, is better. So in this episode, we're going to learn about the virtue of obsession, how we can take this natural tendency for, especially for a more masculine person to kind of get obsessed with things, right? You know, if you're a guy and you have a tendency, I mean, personally, I, I get kind of hooked on certain strategy computer games. It doesn't really bring a lot to my life, but it feels so good because of, because of my wirings as a guy. How can we do this with something different that's more useful, something like whatever your creative pursuit is, or maybe something in your career, or maybe even something that you've been lacking in, like you've been out of shape your whole life. How do you get obsessed with working out? Because obviously if you do that, you can basically not even worry about the result that's gonna happen. So this episode, this virtue obsession, this virtue I should say, hits on many of the maxims from episode 109, the five and a half guiding principles for a man's life. Uh, certainly focus, being the first one, obviously, if you have that kind of single attention on something, you're hyper-focused. And also, when you're obsessed with something, you don't have to force your focus anymore. You don't have to force your attention. You wouldn't call it an obsession unless you were already naturally going there. It should not require effort. Otherwise, it's not an obsession. With that, that ties into mood and energy. When we are obsessed with something, of course, it heightens our mood and energy because like, it doesn't require any effort. In fact, we're eager to do the thing. And uh, next one being negative entropy. I mean, if you have many interests spread out, you have a lot of things in your, on your plate that are all equally interesting or not interesting. They're all the same. It's kind of like uh, in physics. If you have a room where the heat is evenly dispersed, they're all the same. There's very high entropy, and every location in that room is meaningless, right? And compared to everything else, it's the same. They're all the same. They're all equal. Who cares? They're interchangeable. Whereas... If somehow we were able to get all of the heat in the room into one little corner, so one corner is really hot and the rest of it is not, that's a very low entropy configuration. If you were able to do that, it's a lot more interesting, it's a lot more meaningful, and that heat in one corner of the room can do something. It can start a fire, it can cook your food, as opposed to the lower entropy configuration of it all being dispersed. And finally, this one is maybe a bit of a pull, it's not as clear as the other three maxims, but polarity, as we mentioned, obsession, is a more male, is a tendency of the male brain, let's say, or a more masculine brain, ties to testosterone and dopamine and the interplay of those two hormones. And there's something about obsession on a subjective level of entering high tension and release, high tension to a single point and release. 
And, and if you're wondering about these, uh, these maxims I just mentioned, you can check that out in episode 109. The last thing, when we talk about obsession, what we're looking at, and like when we could, we could even take like a magician archetype lens on this, is that there are many material actions one could take uh, in life, in your career, in your pursuits, in your hero's journey, whatever you're doing. When you're obsessed with something, you're putting so much attention into whatever mechanical action you're doing that it adds quality to the quantity, right? And when we, we look at exponential growth in things, what's the difference between two people trying to dig holes or two people trying to start the same business, but one grows a huge amount and the other one grows like at a slow linear level? It's typically ideas, creative ideas, right? So, I mean, to drop the, the, you know, the mystical side of this, like, you know, uh, imbuing your actions with energy, you could also say when you're obsessed with something, you are uh, creating your, you're jogging your mind to come up with ideas that will allow you to make those exponential jumps as opposed to just digging the hole with a shovel. You come up with an idea to build a machine that can do it way faster, right? Th this is kind of what we're looking for. And this is why, you know, books like The One Thing, which takes, you know, uh, you know, a more mundane look at this, why th these principles are so effective, because it's not about just doing stuff. In fact, and I'll, I'll tell some stories from my life where I did this not so great or have been doing this not so uh, ideally and what I'm changing. Like when you're just putting something on the back burner and like, oh, I'm doing the bare minimum or you're just doing the thing that seems like the obvious next action step, but you're not obsessed with it. You're never going to have those exponential jumps. You're never going to have those huge creative uh, boosts because you don't come up with ideas by just shoveling the hole. You come up with those ideas by shoveling the hole, but also daydreaming about it the other 23 hours a day when you're not shoveling. So anyway, so this all came up for me recently in the last week or couple weeks because Nala and I have been practicing, Nalaya, my girlfriend, we've been uh, speaking about having children a lot and it's become more and more real. It's becoming closer and closer that we're actually going to be like, okay, we're having kids and we're basically planning our whole lives around it. And actually, I mean, what made this really feel real is that a couple weeks ago, I let one loose a little bit close to ovulation and it was, it was, like, it was on the edge. It was like six days before she was ovulating. Uh, you know, sperm lives up to five days. So we seemed safe, but then the, the days afterwards, she seemed particularly hormonal and, and I was like, oh shit, like... I think I might be a father, like I, I might have, have knocked her up already. And, um, you know, obviously when it's immediate, it's different than looking at it in the future in some, uh, in, you know, uh, indefinite time. And I was thinking, okay, so what is not ideal right now, right? There's various things that are pretty much set up for a child in our lives. But then I was like, well, okay, I've been making okay money the last many years, at least more than enough that I've needed as a single person with who doesn't have particularly expensive taste, but not making so much that I feel particularly comfortable in supporting a family, especially if she stops working. So I had this figure, I had this number, and I was like, well, okay, it turned out she's not pregnant, so she, I'm not having a child right now, but I was still thinking like, well, why, you know, I, I had this idea of... Um, the amount of money that would be very comfortable. I was thinking about how I've been living my life and you know, the last uh, couple of years I've been taking it pretty easy. Like there was moments of high tension when I was like getting out of poverty years ago into like, you know, this comfortable situation I am now. Even my uncle, who's, uh, who's been a serious journalist uh, for many, many years, he came to visit me in Thailand a couple of years ago, or this is a little bit before COVID. 
He's like, oh, you're basically retired. Like, I'm living the life that he is planning on living when he retires soon. I've been very happy with that the last couple of years. But then I started thinking, man, okay, I don't actually make enough to support a family comfortably. What's the next level? And then I started thinking, okay, I got the idea of the next level, the next level that comes to the next income. Thought about like what that looks for business growth. And then I looked at my current activities. It just, it was like a total reframe of like being comfortable to being like, oh shit, like what I'm doing is not good enough. And I was almost like in a sense kind of disgusted in myself, not in a self-loathing way, but like just like, you know, just kind of this realization of like, I haven't really been thinking about my career correctly, or I've been essentially coasting a little bit too long, especially through COVID. That was like kind of an excuse I had for like working on other things that don't really make money and stuff because everything is fine. And I was like, shit, like it's fine if I'm just a single guy with no uh, further aspirations, but if I'm going to be a father, this is unacceptable. Like I need to go to war because this is not like, I'm not going to let my kids not have all the things they want. Anyway, a common, common feeling I think most parents have. And I started looking at all these different little things and I started remembering things that other people have said to me just in the last uh, month. Like uh, I was on a buddy's podcast recently and he, he was talking about, he's a fan of this show and he's like, talking about how much he likes it and stuff. But then he's like, yeah, I mean, you kind of make yourself not discoverable on YouTube uh, or, or whatever. It's like, yeah, you're, I mean, another person said like, oh, I mean, your, your view counts are so low. Like I don't understand why your view counts are so low. Or another person actually who's like very... Uh, knowledgeable in marketing is like, dude, you, there's all these things you need to change that will boost your view counts. Like you're making yourself undiscoverable essentially. And I've heard all these people said these things to me before, before I really thought about fatherhood. And I was like, okay, whatever. You know, I hate, I, I just, I've had this idea. And in fact, I've said this on the podcast a few times. Like I hate marketing. I hate looking at that stuff. I hate like, anyway, blah, blah, blah. All of my resentments at, uh, at the marketplace and, and how people become popular on the internet. But then I thought like, okay, if I'm actually talking about uh, fatherhood, and actually I spoke about this in the um, How to Be Attractive to Women episode, and that little bit on when should you follow your feelings or not, and just to recap if you didn't see that episode or listen to it, it's a big question a lot of people have, like, should, wait, I thought I'm supposed to follow my feelings, but sometimes there's things I don't want to do, and I actually said it in that, in regards to that question, yes, you should follow your feelings in terms of... Uh, Choosing how you want to express yourself, choosing how, like, what career you want to be in, what explorations you want to have, uh, what kinds of relationships or friendships, all of that stuff, you should follow your feelings. However, after you've decided what your thing is, after you've chosen to take on a certain responsibility for certain benefits, if there's a thing that goes along with that, that's not negotiable. It doesn't matter if you feel like it or not, you have to do it, right? That's kind of a responsibility of the masculine. I was mostly referring to in a, in a polarized relationship, if you're choosing to take on the masculine role in a relationship, there's certain things, there's certain responsibilities and traits and uh, characteristics that become your responsibility, whether you feel like it or not. Like, it's not okay to take on the masculine role in a relationship and then be a whiny child, right? Not to say that anyone should be a whiny child, but you get what I'm saying, I, I hope. And then I was like, turning on this on myself and like, just using YouTube as an example, like, like last year, I think I logged into YouTube like three times. My very awesome uh, media person, Christina, does all of that for me. But, but actually, because of my disengagement, that's probably one of the reasons. So anyway, this is all to say that I was like, man, I've been a little bitch about this stuff. You know, if I really think about the responsibility that I'm eager to take on of being a father, I can't complain about these stupid things like marketing. This is kind of a, especially if I think about like all the other jobs people have that, anyway, this is all to just say that I was being a little whiny and silly. 
So then I was like, okay, well, I need to make up for this. Like, I need to go to war. And, um, and I was like, well, I've learned, I've taken YouTube courses. I'm just using this as my example, but I've been taking different courses. Like, I know the basic principles. And in the past, I've always done the bare minimum. Like, okay, what base, I mean, obviously, I have to have the thumbnail. Like, what is the basic bare minimum I need to throw up so that uh, anyone can watch it, right? Uh, watch my stuff or discover me or something. And then I was like, well, I was thinking about, you know, times in my life that I had a huge boost in income or did something that I was really proud of. Like there's a few examples I gave in the Road of Trials video. The only times I've ever really had an exponential jump, whether it was in health and fitness or sports or, or money, as I am talking about here, or business, right? It only came at a time when I was obsessed. And most of the times I've become obsessed was because there was a crisis, right? I was like, well, I don't want to wait for a crisis. Turns out we're not pregnant. So like, why wait for this like emergency? Why not get obsessed now? Which is what uh, brought me to this. Because as I mentioned, when a person gets obsessed, and I, I think, well, I guess it could be any person. I think it's probably more true for men just because of our tendency to, uh, you know, to get stuck. I mean, you look at guys getting stuck on uh, porn video games, especially RPGs or things where you're building, right? Like we have that circuitry, right? Especially when you're a teenager, you're, uh, when a man goes through puberty, a boy becomes a man, he gets this huge spike in testosterone. Uh, parts of his brain that uh, assess risk haven't yet developed, which is why young men do really stupid things. But there's actually an evolutionary reason for this because when all of the young men in a given tribe or a given locality go through puberty, they should all be risking their lives doing things. Some of them would die. We're talking like the Paleolithic era. A bunch of them would die from taking these stupid risks. Those were the weaker ones, unfortunately. And the strong ones who took the risk, who happened to survive, those are the ones who passed on their genes. Not that this, you know, obviously we don't want young men to be crashing cars or doing stupid things that don't actually help society, but this is why young men do stupid things. Like we're, we're wired to take these uh, insane risks, which is also why we get hooked on things like video games. Uh, there's, an, there's an opportunity to do crazy things that don't have a, a consequence. So anyway, yeah, exponential versus linear growth. Because I was looking at, just using my, my personal example again, what would allow me to have a level of income that, I'll get to that in a second. Creative ideas all come from, uh, creative ideas are what allow exponential growth. And actually, if we just speak about information again and this negative entropy idea, as I've mentioned, the Magician Archetype episode, the thing, the, the one thing in reality that fights against the second law of thermodynamics or balances it out where like the world is increasing in its randomness, right? Uh, you know, heat is dispersing, matter is breaking up, like, like the, the universe is moving towards entropy, but there is something that moves against entropy and that is life. Life keeps getting more complex, not less complex. It, life keeps organizing things into more and more unique lower entropy configurations. And essentially what what that what we would call that another word for negative entropy is information. So I was thinking, okay, when's the last time I had a huge boost? And it went back to um, a couple years ago. I was just paying off my debt from when I was in the cult. I was doing my very first course launch on my own, which was actually the arousal control program, which I still sell because I'm very proud of, and it's a great program. I had just done a course launch. I had spent four and a half months, almost five months writing the course, filming it, preparing it, creating all of the promotional copy and stuff and, and filming all of that and editing it and, you know, uh, taxing myself with all of that, working nonstop. I had some people promoting it, 
like my friends at Fearless were promoting it. Like there's a, a lot of lot going on, and like I'd spent almost half a year working on this thing, needing it to make some amount of money. Otherwise, I would have wasted my time, and also I was trying to pay off my debt. I, I had the goal to pay off all my debt by the time I thir- turned 30, and I was turning 30 around the time of the course launch. I think it was that that same week. It it, it wasn't even planned that way. That's how it happened. And uh, there's one, you know, I. Um, all the affiliates promoted, so a bunch of people, you know, opted in for the, you know, the the thing, and and uh, based on the sequence that I had, I was expecting sales like around, I, was, I think it was a Thursday, and nothing came in. Friday, nothing came in. I was like, oh shit, like, I just, I mean, this is a flop. I just wasted my my entire time. This is nothing. But the fact that I had put so much time into it, and I was, I had become obsessed with it, like. This is around the time that I read the book, The One Thing, and every day I would have like one major task. I'd put it on a, a post-it. I just readopted this, this habit of having like one major task for the day, uh, something that usually takes one to four hours. And like I, I was becoming super obsessed with, uh, with this. Anyway, because of my obsession, there's a part of, you know, I, I, had, I had had this mentality of like, I'm going to war. Like I'm not accepting being broke anymore. Like this is this is not okay. I'm never going to be in debt again. I, I'm never going to do this again. But now my first effort, like my if you think of this as a war campaign, my first uh, assault was being battered back and things weren't working. And I'll, and I'll and I'll say like in the past if if I hadn't put so much riding on this emotionally, I probably would have been like, "Oh, that's too bad." Cuz honestly, since then I've had other course launches of this and that and I wasn't super obsessed and like if it didn't do well, I was like, eh, whatever, you know, I didn't really put my heart into it, right? But I put my heart into this one. I was like, I'm not going like, to let this go. So I remember like spending a whole day, like I was in Bali at the time. I was spending a day uh, just, just chilling out because I had already done all the work. It's like, I don't, like, what is it? Like, there must be a way. I had this goal on a piece of paper of how do I make X amount of money. And like, I did something uh, called the 20 answer method, which I, I've done other times. Actually, the, I'm going to tell a story inside of a story. The first time uh, I came across this, this 20 answer method is a, it's a technique that comes from the sales trainer, Brian Tracy. This was actually a previous time that I was uh, also broke. Not all of my obsession uh, periods have to do with money, but this is kind of the thread I'm on, I guess. This is when I had just gotten out of college. I, had, I was supposed to go into the Marines, but I had decided not to do that, so I was kind of lost. I had suddenly like, given up what was my intended career. I was doing this uh, really lame, uh, kind of humiliating door-to-door sales job, and I was super broke. I was I was making very little money. Uh, I was at the bottom of the you know because everyone in a sales office they typically post everyone's numbers. I was close to the bottom, and uh, I was listening to all of these Brian Tracy sales videos, uh, sales uh, audios because I wanted to get I wanted to make some money. Right? I didn't even have enough. I mean, in my high, in my head, I didn't even have enough money to like move myself back into my parents' house on the other side of the state. Like I I, I didn't. I was like. Kind of trapped, and the question uh, in Brian Tracy's thing is that he says, uh, write a question that you want your subconscious to answer at the top of a piece of paper, and then come up with twenty answers. Like no matter what, come up with twenty answers. You have to hit twenty because whatever the question is, like how do I make X amount of money? And mine at the time, at this time, was um, how do I become the top rep in the office? Because it wasn't a totally arbitrary goal, but it's like the top reps in the office. It was a huge spread. The top reps made almost 10 times what the bottom reps made, typically, five to 10 times. It's like, if I, if I, this is way before I read the book, The One Thing, but this is kind of uh, the, the premise of the book, The One Thing, or the main thesis is like, uh, 
I mean, uh, prescription, I should say, is pick a singular goal that if you accomplished it, all other things become uh, easier or unnecessary. That's their whole thing. It's a, it's a great idea, right? You, you pick one thing to put all of your creative capital into, right? Pick the one thing that makes everything else easier. So this is before I read this book, but my idea was, okay, if I could become top rep in the office, of course, I'll be making more money. I'll be making a lot more money, five to 10 times as much as I was making, uh, and everything will be easier. And then I could figure things out. So every morning for, for, for weeks and weeks, I, I would write on the top of my journal, uh, how do I become top rep in the office? And I would go down the line of like trying to come up with answers. And for a question that open-ended, it's not necessarily easy to come up with, you know, sometimes I would have like stupid things like drink a lot of water today, so I'm hydrated, or not even, I wouldn't say because I'm hydrated, I would just, I would just come up with answers that maybe can make sense. A lot of times what I ended up doing was uh, for, for an answer, so I had to come up with something, I would come up with, uh, a sales technique that I had learned, but I had always, you know, forgotten to do in the field because there's a lot of like lines and things to know. And I was learning all these things, but I would always forget to say them or do them or I'd do the wrong thing. But every morning I would write down as many like closing lines or opening lines or like, uh, you know, number four, remember to smile, blah, 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 you know. And essentially what I was doing is I was spending my mornings brainwashing myself. I was like programming into myself these instinct, these traits that in the heat of the moment, I would always forget to do. But first thing in the morning, I would write up these 20 things that it was kind of like programming into my head. Almost every morning, I would write most of the same stuff every morning. But then after, after, after some time, I would come up with new ideas. I would come up with my own ways of phrasing my sales pitch and, and this and that. And then because it's 20, this, you know, it's, it's tempting to stop at five or stop at 10. But after 10 or once you hit 15 or so, your, your, your brain has to come up with something new. Because like, like, I think this 20 answer method is like almost like a easy numerical visual representation of how obsessed you are, right? Because if you, if you have a question and you can only come up with five answers, you're probably not that obsessed. You know, if, if you come up with 10, maybe you're that a little bit interested. But like, if you can get all the way up to 20, it's like you're, you're putting that much attention and you're like almost training obsession into yourself because not only was I programming certain ideas into my head or certain things I needed to remember, I was also like stimulating my brain, stimulating my mind to be so interested in this topic of how do I become the top rep that I would spend my daydreaming time coming up with answers on, like uh, passively, right? Like not with a lot of effort, like while I'd be at work or while I'd be taking a shit or while I'd be at lunch, like there'd be like the kind of this brewing, like how do I become top rep? How do I become top rep? And I would come up with new answers all the time and always those last five are, are, are things that would end up being abstract and like eventually you have to come up with something that hasn't been come up with, especially if you're asking yourself the question every single time. This is the whole, like, whole thing of like, you know, when you're obsessed with something, you come up with ideas that allow for ex exponential growth. Anyway, the, long, the, the end of that story is that I did become the top rep. I ended up making a lot more money than I would have made in the Marines, for instance, even as an officer. I ended up buying a motorcycle. Things were great for a while. Uh, until I had another existential crisis, but that's uh, that's for another episode. So anyway, <laughs> to go back to the first story, go back to this earlier loop. Uh, this is a couple years ago. I'd done this course launch for the arousal control program, had zero sales for whatever reason. A likely reason was that like most of the people who had signed up to learn about it, uh, you know, I, I was an unknown person to most people, so 
Um, but then I had a very simple idea because I, I was going back to this thing. I was I kept thinking like, how do I how do I actually sell this? I had this I, I had an, I had a figure that I wanted to make that was pretty reasonable. But it was more than I had ever made in in a single chunk. Uh, how do I make this amount of money? How do I make this? And, and it came to me, it's a very stupid, simple idea. Like the, the idea itself is not particularly amazing. I just like, oh, well, I should put on a flash sale. I'll just put up a 24-hour flash sale and it'll probably inspire people to buy. And all people bought, right? Like all the people who maybe were thinking about it or just needed a nudge. It doesn't matter. Like the technique isn't important. In fact, it's such a simple, obvious thing, you know, um, perhaps. But I wouldn't have come up with that idea if I wasn't obsessed with, because you know, that idea didn't come to me for whatever reason earlier. Like I had to become obsessed with it. So for the rest of this episode, we're gonna go into, because you're probably wondering if you may be wondering like, well, how do I get obsessed? Because for a lot of guys I speak to who are kind of in apathy mode or are not really sure what they want to do with their lives, but they have those really big questions. You know, especially if you were like kind of raised in a participation trophy kind of world, there might be this like almost uh, you might be conditioned to not be obsessed with things or, you know, if you, you spent a lot of time doing what other people wanted and you can't feel your own desire, your, your own interests, your own obsessions. The only things that might hook your attention are like addictive uh, media apps or, or whatever. Like, you know, a lot of people maybe haven't been obsessed with something that might yield a positive result in a while. Or maybe I think what a lot of people experience, they find themselves going down a rabbit hole, they, they get really hooked on an idea, and then they uh, go into it a little bit, and then they get some version of writer's block. Resistance comes up, and then the obsession goes away. The, 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 that inner driven desire to, to go to war, to do this thing, to think about nothing else, like that kind of fades away, and then, and then they're not obsessed anymore. So, And specifically, how can you get obsessed without needing a crisis mode, right? It's one thing to be obsessed with making the rent when you're not about to make the rent or you're broke. It's easy to get obsessed. Uh, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people, I mean, most people I'd say who really get into personal development, who really become like obsessive about their growth, they have some sort of rock bottom moment. I think for a lot of guys, it's like heartbreak or loneliness or waking up one day and realizing you didn't do anything with the, the last 10 years of your life and it just pisses you off and you have to like go to war, right? How can we get this obsession before having this like existential crisis or, or real crisis. So this first thing is obvious is uh, maybe it's not obvious, but the first thing is cultivating interests because a precursor to obsession is interest, right? You can't, you can't get obsessed with something you don't find interesting. And for a, someone who's maybe in some version of anhedonia, apathy, you're not really sure what like, everything is like, well, that's okay. That's okay. Like, well, how do you cultivate interest? So, Interest has two parts. There is what comes from the inside, like say your archetypal conditions, like what you're born with, your natural, uh, you know, what, what, the parts of you that are not a blank slate. Like every, all of us are born with certain tendencies, certain proclivities, certain idiosyncrasies that are unique to us. And there's a second part, which is environmental conditioning, right? Like for perhaps an extreme example, a lot of people have uh, are kind of wired for addiction. Maybe addiction runs in your family or whatever. But if that person is never exposed to a certain drug, they're probably not going to get addicted to it. Like I actually think for myself, like in times in my life where it's not that I think I'm particularly prone to addiction. Actually, I'm, I don't think I am at all personally. But 
there are definitely points in my life that I was very vulnerable and willing to say fuck it all, especially when I was a younger man. Maybe my testosterone was higher and my, my risk-taking behavior. Like, there's probably a lot of drugs that I would have gotten into had I been exposed to them, but I just wasn't, out of luck, perhaps. Or a lot of things, you know. I, you know, I spoke in another episode. I tried to join the Hells Angels once, or I had the, the strong intention to. Didn't happen, and that's probably a good thing. So anyway, so, like, so for a, a more simple example... Most men, if you have androgen receptors, you're kind of drawn to things that are competitive. You know, if you take that and you take the fact that your dad watched a football, well, that makes sense that you become obsessed with football, right? No, uh, no kid in, uh, in England gets obsessed with American football. It's very rare because it's very unlikely that is, he's exposed to American football. There are very few men in America who get obsessed with cricket because that's just not there, right? There's two parts. There's that those initial conditions, these, these archetypal proclivities, if you will, and then environmental conditioning. So you're obviously not a child if you're watching, uh, listening to this or watching this. You're condition, you have, you've had years of conditioning already, things that you've been exposed to, things that may have drawn you or not drawn you. But if you've uh, had many years of muting your interests or like forcing yourself to do things that seemed productive versus things that seemed interesting, you've may, maybe have spent a lot of time... Uh, deconditioning those interests like, and, and and that's the experience a lot of i think grown men grown people have where they're just like i don't know what i'm into because they've done uh, many years and like modern media and i think this is the worst for you know anyone who's young right now uh growing up with social media it's like it's kind of designed to to hijack your dopamine circuitry right when um we had dr cam sapa on the podcast uh he has this whole protocol on dopamine fasting and a lot of people are speaking about like how addictive uh Media, I mean, it's, it, most media is designed to be addictive, to hook you and take advantage of uh, these dopamine circuits that are meant for going out and seeking adventure or going out and finding new things for your survival instead of get you sucked onto your little box, scrolling away on Reddit, reading all the links as if they actually make a difference in your life. And yes, I'm being a little judgmental because I feel strongly about this. So essentially, and uh, you know, referencing... Uh, Cam's uh, protocol, you could look up his stuff on dopamine fasting or listen to the episode if you want. Um, but I would actually say, I would actually go a little bit further than his protocol, especially if you're in a place where like you're not really sure what you're interested in or you don't have a lot of space to think your own original thoughts, right? Because that's what these media things take away from us. We, we don't get that chance to, when we're, we're clicking from thing to thing or link to link or clickbait to clickbait, you know, we don't get an opportunity to have the free attention because you can't get obsessed with something without free attention, right? Uh, or you can't be obsessed with things consciously, right? You might be obsessed with whatever the algorithm presents to you. Uh, I'd actually go a little further than his protocol for dopamine fasting in the same way that, you know, if someone is uh, like really hooked on sugar, you know, going, uh, going on uh, and is super overweight, it might be great to go on a multi-day fast, right? So I'd actually... Say if you are at a place where you don't really know what you're interested in, you're not really sure, I would go on a long fast, like maybe an entire many days without uh, by avoiding screens, avoiding these things that hook onto your dopamine circuitry. Because you essentially, kind of like a diabetic does, which, uh, you know, well, I mean, kind of like uh, someone hooked on sugar, you need to resensitize yourself. You need to resensitize your dopamine circuits because they've been flooded by Facebook or whatever. And, you know, when, when I speak about this to most guys specifically, there is something appealing about going into nature for, for days and being disconnected. Like there, there's something, I would say, archetypally masculine about it. Like 
when I speak about this to most women, they're like, you know, uh, think about going out into the forest by yourself. I don't think that appeals to most women, certainly not most feminine people. Like, why would you do that? Like, when, even when, when I did the 4 by 4 by 48 challenge uh, with my friend, his girlfriend was like, why are you guys doing that? I have no idea. Like, I don't understand. But every guy gets it, right? There's something about that. Maybe you need a certain, uh, certain density of androgen receptors to appreciate some activity like this. But almost every guy, if you just think about it, even if you're not going to do it, this idea of, like, being on your own in nature for a little bit, there's something, like, pure about it. And I would say, you know, this is the same reason why guys love adventure video games or many young men get hooked on RPGs. Like, that's essentially what you're doing. Like, when you're World of Warcrafting or whatever, you're, you're going out on your own, seeking adventure, like, pure warrior archetype stuff. And, uh, you know, so I, I would say, you know, going on a total media fast for a while, allowing your dopamine circuits to resensitize and rediscover what's interesting to you, uh, like a thorough style, you know, thorough style solitude, maybe doesn't apply to, uh, doesn't interest every guy, but definitely interests uh, any thinking guy, I would say. A thinking man is going to really be drawn to this kind of thing because you're, you need to resensitize your dopamine receptors. And because um, this is the thing about obsession and why I cared to make this whole episode on this is like the whole thing of uh, taking baby steps and habit change or like these little habit habitual changes. That's OK for, you know, if you're really fighting. Um, that's OK if, if you're, you're basically deep in the negative, right? Like if you're. Excuse me. If you're super overweight and you never exercise, like you're really a couch potato and you have like years of inertia of like being sedentary working against you, then yes, like a small habit like every day walk 10 minutes is great. It's great for like moving. It's better than sitting on the couch all day. And if you're super overweight, walking 10 minutes a day would probably have you lose some weight. But no one has ever gone from overweight to in really good shape by doing bare minimum, uh, like singular things like, like BJ Fogg's, uh, habit training stuff about like, instead of committing to flossing all of your teeth every day, commit to flossing one tooth, it'll build the habit over time. You might end up doing extra. That's great. Again, for minimums, right? If you, if you never floss fine, but if you want really good teeth, right? I mean, maybe, maybe the analogy isn't true for teeth. I don't know, but certainly with uh, fitness and with business, like, and I'll say for myself, like I've been kind of like, you know, I've put various media things on the back burner. I've especially perhaps fueled my my resentment for scrolling media. Uh, I've avoided uh, really engaging with stuff like with YouTube, but, and I was looking at it, right? Like my view counts are really low uh, for my, for my videos, especially cause this is my third YouTube channel. And this is, uh, I don't know if like I'm somehow, you know, I cause like I, I've uh, my first, my first two channels got uh, deactivated for various things. Um, this third channel seems to have the lowest view counts, even though I think my content is the best compared to whatever crap I was putting out when I was like 23. Um, and anyway, this, all this is to say is like, I was like, man, okay, if, if I want to bring it up to what I think is a reasonable level for my content or whatever, for whatever notoriety I have, I can't just do bare minimums, right? To just say, well, I'm going to, you know, research one keyword or I'm going to like post one video every so often. like. There's no way I'm gonna reach the the viewership or the you know. There's no way I'm gonna achieve the growth that I that I want to achieve to support my family, doing bare minimums. Like you have to go hard. At some point, you have to go hard, and this is true for anyone. Fitness, I think, is a great example. Like no one has ever gotten super into shape, doing bare minimum programs. Like there's a lot of people I know who 
have gym memberships and they and they'll go yeah i work out but they never go past like they never go past average fitness right you, you, there's that there has to be an obsession with it because when you're obsessed you start to you you make you you tweak all these specific nuances you basically raise the fidelity really high because you become very specific right like it's like if you like take this idea of uh resolution of reality when you're not obsessed with something the resolution's a little bit fuzzy right it's a little it's lo-fi um you can kind of get away with uh lacks of precision but when you're obsessed with something you're turning the fidelity all the way up and you can see like like oh this is this thing like if you look at reality as a I'm switching analogies but if you look at reality as like a photograph or a painting you're like oh this color is in the wrong place or this needs to be like this like it becomes very specific like you're obsessed with working out you're like man my my form my deadlifting form is a little bit off right if i want to increase my deadlift by 5% again, I need to like tweak the way I move my hips. Like you don't, you don't get to that level of precision by not being obsessed. And you know, like something recently for me, like waking up, waking up earlier uh, by 15 minutes has always been hard. Like, you know, to, to gradually wake up early and earlier has never worked for me personally. I don't think it works for most people because you know, if, if you, if your alarm goes off just 15 minutes earlier, you might be like, ah, it's so close to my normal time. And then you end up laying in bed for 15 minutes or whatever. But if you say, instead of seven, I'm going to wake up at five or wake up at four. Like, there's something about the extremity of that, that, that kind of makes you do it. Like it feels like you're going to war. Like there's no, it, it, it somehow raises the stakes internally. Because there has to be some sort of sacrifice, I think. And because here's the other thing. A lot of people think, okay, well, I'm not interested in anything. Nothing's coming to me. So you do your fast. You're still not sure. Or it's like nothing is like really hooking me, right? Our feelings, and this goes back to whether you should follow your feelings or when you should follow your feelings. Like some people, and I think this has become a popular idea, especially in like more feminized self-help of like always following your feelings. There, there's times to listen to your feelings, but also your feelings are not God, right? This is actually, you know, this is a mental trap uh, I got into or a lot of people get into in self-help i personally got into when i was in the cult like if you start following your feelings if someone manipulates your feelings which advertising can do very easily and propaganda can do very easily a charismatic leader can change how you feel about something very easily and if you're all if you're if you're training yourself to always follow what you feel you can end up doing some stupid shit, right or you could end up doing nothing you can end up doing nothing useful right feelings are are one feedback circuit that matter right and actually I hope to have John Coates on the podcast soon. I'm still finishing his book. But uh, you know, he has this great graph in his book, the, the Hour Between Dog and Wolf, of the responses. Like, when, we, when we react to a, a stimulus, let's say a threat, like a, a predatory animal, like a bear, or a, he, he, he relates that kind of stuff to like the stock market. Uh, and like, uh, oh, the stock market's crashing, so our body is having a visceral reaction. There's different... There's different uh, uh, reaction times of different parts of our body. First, our um, skeletal system reacts. Our skeletal, our the, our, the part of our nervous system that, um, sorry, my words are, are escaping me, uh, controls our muscles. So actually, so this is news to me that when we see a threat, our muscles actually react long before our emotion. And by long, I mean like instead of uh, 30 milliseconds, 100 milliseconds, right? It's like uh, too fast for us to consciously perceive the difference, but our muscles actually react way before our emotions or way before our conscious mind can process it. I mean, we're talking milliseconds, right? So we see a threat, we see a bear, our muscles are already tensing and preparing to run. Then some milliseconds later, 
our organs uh, go to support our muscle, uh, muscles, uh, our body starts to producing uh, uh, short-term hormones like adrenaline. Um, and then that, that's what signals to our conscious mind what emotions we're feeling, right? So that, that's the order of things. So this is all to say that our emotions are just one feedback loop. It's not like our emotions are God. Uh, you might want to say, if anything, if those three systems, uh, you know, physical, emotional, and, uh, and, and conscious, uh, you'd say maybe the physical is the, the closest to God, our instincts, right? It's, a, it's our body reacting before our emotions or our mind can catch up, sensation. So anyway, this is all to say that uh, your emotions are just one feedback center, and just like your body can be trained to have certain instincts, like in sports, you drill something long enough, the ball comes, you, you do the right form, you, you execute the right thing that you trained, your emotions can also be trained. I think it's very important to try to find things that match the, the set of characteristics you were born with, right? Like not everyone is into competitive things, not everyone is into artistic things, but if you were kind of born within, with a thing, I think the right move, uh, the right thing for your parents or your guardians or your teachers is to, to cultivate that. And as you as an adult, like cultivate those things that you were born with. But feelings can be practiced in the same way that maybe you, could, you were trained to be neurotic by a neurotic parent or you were trained to uh, feel low status because of the social group or the family system you were born into. You can train yourself to have certain feelings. And if you are very far from being obsessed with something, you kind of got to practice the obsession. I think something like the 20 answer method is one way, right? Obviously, crisis is one way. If, if there's a survival uh, necessity, you'll naturally become obsessed with that thing. But not waiting for a crisis to happen. If you pick an interest, you pick something that you're drawn to because you're, you're, not, uh, you're being internally driven instead of externally driven. How can you practice becoming interested in that? And that does require a little bit of effort at first, right? It does require some sort of uh, structure, some sort of commitment to yourself. Because once you do the thing, you do it enough, you get enough reps in, it actually becomes fun. Most things become fun once you really, uh, achieve a certain level of competence. <clears throat> like writing, for instance, uh, writing kind of came to me. I mean, I've always been a little bit into writing, but as an adult, it kind of came to me, I mean, kind of out of nowhere. I don't know if I told this story before, but this was a little bit before I joined the cult. I left my last real job. I was working this weird freelance job, <clears throat> really not sure what to do with my life. Oh, this was also, uh, I just spent that summer dating a, a huge cocaine addict and we had various adventures, but we broke up and I kind of had this huge void in my life, not knowing what to do. This was the summer that uh, Fifty Shades of Grey became super popular. I really blew up and uh, I had a friend who uh, knew someone who knew someone who was basically like, oh, I heard that if you could write an erotica novel, uh, you'll basically get published. Like erotica is so hot, like you don't even have to be a good writer, like you'll get published. And like something about that hooked me. And we actually, uh, I had gone with some friends uh, for this weekend trip at, at one of my friend's lake houses, his family's lake house. And I spent the entire trip working on I just like writing an erotica novel, like writing an erotica chapter for like, I, I couldn't do anything else. Like this obsession hooked me. And, uh, and, I, and you know, for a while I, that wave lasted for a little bit. Like to me, that was like my call to adventure to get into writing or take writing more seriously. But my competence level wasn't particularly high. I could look back at what I wrote back then. It wasn't very good. It wasn't terrible. It had some, you know, it had something, but I had a lot to work on as a writer. But eventually that feeling faded. And here's where I think a lot of people were like, oh, well, I was into that last year, but then, you know, it became hard and gave up. I mean, I see this a lot in uh, people in jujitsu, like, 
a lot of people like the idea of fighting. They really like their first couple classes, but at some point they go, you know, they get sore, this happens, it becomes annoying, they realize how much time it takes to get to your blue belt or whatever, and they kind of let it fade away because that initial boost, that actually, that boost of dopamine that you get from doing something new that's a challenge that, you know, that gives you like that kind of exploration, that, that boost goes away, that dopamine uh, boost goes away eventually. And then, you know, if you're only, if you're only going from boost to boost, you're basically going to have a bunch of one-night stands with a bunch of different activities, life activities, or literal one-night stands because no person uh, can hold your attention because you're only you're only in it for the dopamine high. And you know that's I think a fine way to live for a certain amount of your life when you're young to explore things when you're young and reckless and don't have a don't have a long-term thinking. But at some point you gotta pick like okay, there's there's certain things that I want to commit myself to, and I'm gonna push through that hump where. My, I'm not getting a huge dopamine hit from it, but I know I'm going to get that long-term reward. Like I know I'm going to get that uh, big thing. Because actually going back to John Coates' book, The Hour Between Dog and Wolf, there's a third system. Uh, there's another system that reacts, right? Our muscles react. Our organs react in a way to support our muscles, but eventually the adrenaline drops. The adrenaline, you know, it's a short-term activity. If your body is, say, using a threat, for example, if you're experiencing or you're perceiving a threat, past the initial burst stage, you know, the adrenaline dump completes and whatever, then your body starts producing steroid hormones. Steroids are a specific kind of hormone that affect everywhere in your body. Like a steroid hormone can move through cell membranes. A steroid hormone will affect your skeletal system. Uh, it will affect, it'll affect every system of your body. And the reason for steroid hormones is that in a time of an emergency, you're actually... I love John Coates' uh, phrase that he uses in the book, uh, in archetypal moments of your life, in life or death situations, in mating experiences, in things that really matter for your survival and replication, like the things that life is meant for, those what he calls archetypal moments, falling in love, having a child, killing an invader, oh, I mean, he doesn't say killing an invader, but stuff like that, in those archetypal moments of your life, you need all of your body on the same page, right? You can't have one part of your body uh, digesting and the other part of your body fighting and the other part of your body fucking. No, like steroids, the reason why steroids have such an effect and why people take anabolic steroids for sports performance, it gets your whole body geared up for a certain thing. So, uh, so I often speak about testosterone versus oxytocin as far as masculine and feminine behavior. Testosterone is a steroid. Obviously, you pump testosterone full of someone. It has all of these changes uh, muscularly, voice-wise, behavior-wise, sex drive-wise, aggression-wise, everything. Oxytocin is not a steroid. Estrogen is a steroid. Oxytocin, even though it's, uh, it correlates with a lot of behaviors we call feminine, oxytocin is not a steroid because your body, if you're experiencing oxytocin, your body's not going to completely morph, right? If you're experiencing oxytocin, it might be a signal that everything is safe, but uh, it's not a steroid. Anyway, this is all to say, if you're experiencing a threat, the adrenaline dumped, your body will continue pumping cortisol of like, oh, here's a long-term threat we have to deal with. And that cortisol also feels good up until a certain point, right? I mean, part of what uh, is enjoyable about coffee, is it, 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 it stimulates us to produce a little bit of cortisol, which helps us focus because we're dealing with something, right? Cortisol over too long of a time, uh, you know, because it is uh, something for dealing with a threat. If your body is under threat all the time, it becomes very hard to switch to relaxation mode, which is something I want to speak about in um, an episode, I think maybe next week, uh, speaking on psychogenic libido. Anyway, I'll speak about that then. 
but you might need to essentially you might need to practice the feeling of obsession. It's not, not everyone just becomes obsessed with things. In fact, after you've had that call to adventure, let's say, of like you find something that really fits your personality or really fits your interest and you get this huge dopamine burst to become good at it, unless you're, you're lucky and this thing just hooks you from day one and you know you become obsessed with the rest of your life, you have to deal with some sort of hump. And there's a lot of like self-help cliches we could probably think of. The one coming to me right now is... Uh, how Michael Jordan got cut from his basketball team uh, when he was like a sophomore or a junior or something. And a lot of people, they get cut, they're like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'm not going to be an NBA star. He, he you know, because obviously it's, uh, you're experiencing the loser effect if you get cut from a team. Like, you're pro he probably didn't get a dopamine hit. It probably didn't feel good to continue engaging with basketball. But he had that obsessiveness that eventually became perhaps the greatest of all time. So you find the things that are interested in that could yield desired results. Get through the hump, and then eventually you will find dopamine rewarding activities. So going back to my maybe not the most exciting example, but my thing with YouTube and how I've not wanted to engage with it for many reasons. One, like my thing against uh, addictive media, but also if I'm really honest, the fact that I've been deplatformed so many times, like, and every time I get back on YouTube for whatever reason, it gets like my growth is slower and slower. I don't know if like I'm somehow tagged. Like my my first YouTube channel where I think I had like not particularly good content. I got to a 1,000 subscribers really fast. Uh, my second one was slower, and I don't know. Anyway, this is, not, this is not just me complaining, but these are some of the reasons why I've been extra resistant to engaging with it. Or maybe it's a chicken and the egg thing in reverse. I don't know. But I was like, okay, I'm getting obsessed with something. I'm, I'm, I'm deciding to get obsessed with it, right? Like, I'm, I'm not going to be passive. I'm going to, like, really go into it, put extra time, extra energy into it. And I found a simple thing. Like, I used to hate the idea of doing keyword research because I wanted everything that I... Uh, present in terms of content to come from myself and not from what I think would be clickable. Then I have all these these topics that I want to talk about. I was like, I bet I could find a keyword phrase that is good that, that hits on this. And it became like it kind of it became a game. Like I, I noticed how much fun that I was had. This is just a couple of days ago. How much fun I was having going into the uh, the keyword search tool and finding high ranking keywords with low competition. Like because you know uh, the keyword tool that I. Uh, that I use, it has color codes, like red is bad, yellow is okay, green is great, uh, very uh, very good is dark green. I was like, I was getting so excited, like hunting for these dark green keywords. Like I was like, oh, I found I found a phrase that no one else, you know, I'm already ranking for this phrase. Wow, it's amazing. Like, like it felt like, you know, going out into, into the forest and, and searching for special mushrooms and finding it, right? It's a lot of searching, a lot of searching. And I was like, wow, I mean, I hate, I hated to admit it, but like, Keyword research is kind of fun. Like I found, uh, because I was willing to get over the discomfort or get over the hump of the, the novelty washing away and not yet finding a dopamine, uh, dopamine rewarding activity, I eventually found one. And, you know, uh, now I, I already noticed like I have way less resistance to my online presentation because I've hated this stuff for so long. But again, Going back to my need, my why of like wanting to really provide well, being able, you know, uh, anyway, I don't have to get into all that, but like uh, even in Thailand, they, you know, putting kids through private school basically means I needed to up my game. And actually going back to the 20 answer method, I did, I, I mean, I've been doing this again recently, this week. And uh, given like my love-hate thing with marketing and like not, I mean, and if I'm really honest, like I've not like the idea of like calling myself, I mean, I stopped calling myself a life coach a long time ago, 
but I just, you know, it, it hasn't been that interesting. I, I, whatever cool points that I felt about my career when I was younger, even though I love my job and I love that I get to do specifically what I'm doing right now, which is learn about things and then translate it uh, into the world, into people who want to listen. I've kind of like had this like love-hate thing of like not wanting to be famous and not wanting to be too exposed and like really not, like, you know. Anyway, I, I can maybe analyze that in another episode. Like pushing through that and being like, well, anyway, anyway with the, the 20 answer method, I made it this whole list of basically how do I, uh, you know, 5x my income or 10x or whatever, you know, different things. How do I greatly increase my income? And I had all these other ideas. Like earlier this year, I got really into crypto, crypto trading. It's like, oh, maybe I'll do that. Uh, you know, various things, starting an econ business, blah, blah, blah. But every time I would make this list of how do I whatever x my income, the obvious easiest thing was to just increase the, you know, increase the exposure of my business. And when I think about like the need that I have, the why to provide for a family, it's like, well, I'm kind of stupid to not take advantage of this thing that I have. But the next thing is taking inspired action because this is the, this is the, actually I want to reference uh, my, my friend Nick and this is going to be our last little bit before we, before my last little how-tos. I was speaking with my, my friend Nick, who's got a, a podcast. Uh, he might come on this show. He's been a long-time client as well. He's really into the manifestation stuff, like, uh, you know, stuff that I, you know, I don't re- directly speak about. Um, his brand is Muscle Meditations. He's a, you should check him out. He's a super jacked guy who's into all the spiritual stuff. But he was basically saying, like, you know, the, the formula of manifestation or law of attraction, which actually, you know, if you just take off the mystical language, it's kind of like a good how-to for, for obsession, which is uh, have your future image, live in the future the best you can, which is maybe a way of being just like obsessively thinking about it, but not in a contracted way or fearful of like, yes, like whatever income, whatever experience, whatever lifestyle. And I, I would say, and then spend your downtime daydreaming. This is what I think is so important, which is why I think it's impossible, especially with creative work, I think it's impossible or very hard to do, to have exponential growth in something, to really come up with great creative ideas that lead to exponential growth if you're not daydreaming about it in your downtime, right? Like when I'm, when I'm working on my book, which I, I've, uh, I'm pausing right now, the times where I have the best ideas, I, I, I can only write two to four hours a day well, personally. Maybe four hours a day is like, my, maybe five on a high coffee day. But the rest of the day, I only really write well the next day if I spend the rest of the day passively daydreaming about my book. That's when I have the, the biggest leaps. That's when I have, I mean, when I'm passively daydreaming about podcast ideas, that's when I make the podcast that I'm the most proud of. Um, because that's what leads to inspired action. That's where you get those creative ideas. And when you have that inspired idea, you have to follow it. One of my favorite quotes from uh, Allen Ginsberg is when, when the muse comes to your bedside, don't tell her you're going to fuck her later. When you have that inspired action, you have to take it, whatever it is. Whether if you're into law of attraction, this is the way that you get the, the million dollar idea. You, you think about it, and when it comes to you, you act on it. To demystify that, if you're obsessed with something, that's when you get those big ideas. That's when you get the, the thing of like, oh, this is the thing no one's ever done before. This is how I carve out my part of the marketplace, or this is how I level up against my competition, or this is just how I level up as a human being. But you have to take that action. You have to follow those ideas. And my last thing, I mentioned this already, but I, this is what I want to end on, and I think it's, uh, 
it's something for especially any guy who's like in mediocrity or you feel like you've just like, you know, if you, if you think of your life or your life satisfaction as a stock or a, a coin, if you will, uh, and it's kind of been hovering between like these two support and resistance points and like you want it to break free or, you know, you're basically stuck in the middle of mediocrity. Atomic habits are not good enough, right? Those are great philosophies. You know, BJ Fogg stuff is great. Uh, for, you know, habit change, whatever. But like, if you really want to make a difference, you have to pick something extreme, which is why, you know, I got so much out of that, that David Goggins challenge I did, even though it's kind of arbitrary and has nothing to do with anything in my direct life. Just the challenge of like, going beyond the point where you can do something, something easily, like we didn't, we didn't do a 24 hour challenge, we did a 48 because it only really starts to suck at 24 hours. That extra 48 is like where you really need to dig deep to some level, right? It wasn't the hardest thing in the world. But you got to go extreme. So for myself, my little thing with like my, uh, the thing that I've been neglecting, which is like social media, I've committed to making 10 episodes a month without any sacrifice of quality. That's always been my thing against people who like pump out a lot of videos. Not to say, not to knock anyone. A lot of, anyway, actually, this, this is all my resentment, so this actually doesn't matter, but, or my past fears or whatever. But uh, yeah, I mean, anyway, 10 episodes, which right now we're halfway through the month. I think I've only put out two episodes. So I kind of have to hustle this month to get that through because I, I do spend multiple days preparing sometimes. Uh, I mean, mostly daydreaming and writing notes. Um, and I'm going to end with this quote now. It's from Dan Gable, perhaps the, the greatest of all time in terms of wrestling. If it's important, do it every day. If it's not, don't do it at all. And Dan, if you've heard him on other shows, like uh, on like the Joe, he's been on Joe Rogan and Lex Friedman. Like he's he's obviously obsessed with wrestling. He's been obviously obsessed with wrestling, and that's the only way you can become the greatest of all time in anything. So. Whatever your thing is, whatever the pyramid you create, whatever the hierarchy that you're seeking to be the top of, uh, you only get there by being obsessed. Not only putting an effort, but like getting to a point mentally and mechanically, like internally and externally, where you're so into the thing that there's no resistance. It doesn't require effort because you just love putting in more energy to get to the top of that thing. That's the only way you get to the top. That's the only way we have those 10x uh, gains, those big jumps those big life-changing experiences. So, yeah, I mean, if you don't see me put out 10 episodes this month, please yell at me. That's my little call to action. But also, for your own life, if you, uh, I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fail. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't embarrass myself on the internet by not doing the thing. Um, but also, you know, if, if this episode resonated with you, just think in your own life, maybe you've already come up with a thing, like, what is the thing you've been neglecting? What is the thing that, if you were obsessed with it, you would really get a lot out of it, right? Is it something in your health? Is it something in your work? Something in your creative life? Is it a shift in your how you experience social relationships? Or I don't know what it, what it is, but what can you come up with? And maybe, maybe you do the 20 answer method right now. You ask yourself the question, how do I blank? And you come up with as many answers and you come up with a commitment, a program for yourself, something that's a, a little bit past the edge of your comfort to go hard, to go to war. And, uh, and finally, yeah, if, you, if, you're, if, you, if this resonated with you or anything that I say resonates with you and you wanna speak with me or if you wanna learn more of something hands-on to help you get on your life path or move you through this chapter of your hero's journey, whatever chapter you're in, 
check out my mask and archetype program. It also still comes with a free one-on-one -on -one coaching call with me. So it is the most cost-effective way to work with me directly. That's at maskandarchetypechallenge.com. Had a lot of cool people reach out or a lot of people signed up in the last month. A lot of, I mean, a handful of people, I should say. It's been cool meeting a lot of you guys. Uh, so I would love to meet more. That's at maskandarchetypechallenge.com. Comes with a free session. And the challenge itself is 21 days of micro lessons and micro missions to help you reconnect with your archetypal masculinity, which of course ties to your purpose, your character, how you interact polarly and whatnot. So you can check that out and I will see you in the next episode. Goodbye.